Welcome to PNR and This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. Listen to Joe and Robert talk about the oldest marketing on the planet, storytelling, and how you can tell a better story to attract and retain customers. Be sure to subscribe to PNR via iTunes and check the contentmarketinginstitute.com site for the show notes. Enjoy! And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Happy Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and Cyber Monday, I guess, to all you content marketers, and welcome to episode three of This Old Marketing. Today is Tuesday, December 2nd, and I'm coming to you from the beautiful and, quite frankly, very chilly city of Philadelphia. As usual, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, who today I I think you find yourself in Cleveland, don't you, Joe? How how are you doing? uh, Robert, it's good to hear your voice. I am in in Cleveland on a rare occasion before heading off uh, later this week to sunny, but I hear chilly California as well in some parts and then well to... chili is chili is a relative statement in California of course well we're having a heat wave uh, here in Cleveland it was upper 40s this week so it's I'm happy with oh that. my goodness gracious oh my good well you'll find uh, you'll find Southern California chilly at 60 degrees so <laughs> so you know welcome to winter in uh, Los Angeles I'll take it then I don't have to bring a coat so I'll be excited about that. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? You know, it was it was great. I hope yours was well. The one thing it I did want to comment on before we get to the news was we did head out yet again for Black Friday shopping. And it was so different this year, I have to tell you, because we went out. We usually get up at you know, 3, 3.30 in the morning and head out uh, for the 4 o'clock rush. Last year, the first place we went to was Kohl's a favorite of my wife's. We go to Kohl's, check that out. And I cannot tell you how many people were there. I mean, there was a line wrapped oh around God. checkout twice in that store. And this year, same same exact time, we went to Kohl's, and there were three people inside. What? There were there had to be 30 people working there, and there was there were two cars oh, out no. front. We didn't even think they were open. <laughs> what happens when you throw a party and nobody shows well, up? <laughs> well, see, now you know something's going to change next year because what they did was what they they opened at uh, eight o'clock, what six or eight o'clock in the evening, and then everybody was shopped out by midnight. But they stayed open then from midnight all the way to you know all the way the next day. Oh and nobody goodness. came, so I think that you're going to see a big change in Black Friday deals just because of that. Then I think Staples had it right. Staples opened from, I believe it was, 8 to 12 on Thursday, and then they reopened at 6 the next day instead of staying open the whole night. <laughs> I'm just waiting for someone to actually open Black Friday the day after Thanksgiving, right, for the next year. <laughs> so we're going to open Black Friday and actually call it Black Monday and actually open the day after the weekend of Thanksgiving. Well, let's be honest. I think we killed Black Friday. It's not Black Friday anymore because everybody's no, exactly. shopping on Thanksgiving. So it's, right. you know, whatever. And, and all the uh, international marketers can laugh at how silly we are. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, okay, three minutes in and we're ready for the news. <laughs> I think we're trying to hit a time frame here. Okay, so... 
you know, what's in the news this week? It was, a, it, you know, maybe a slow news week because of Thanksgiving, but an interesting new report. I know you had a chance to review it. I've only had a chance to look at it briefly. Good news, I think, for content marketers from the Custom Content Council. A large majority of marketers are now considering branded content efforts to be more effective than advertising, TV, direct mail, public relations. What, you know, what say you on the whole new study that just came out from the, the Custom Content Council. You know, yeah, we'll do, we'll put this in the show notes so everyone can see some of the overview. And, and a lot of this is proprietary to Custom Content Council and content-wise, but they let us get an other, get our hands on it a little bit. So just across the board, you know, content marketing spending was up across the board. Uh, spending over the next 12 months is going to be up. Uh, everything seems to be up across the board. Here's the one area, Robert, that I wanted to get your take on that was not up. So the most significant change that we saw, it says 50, in 2012, 56% of companies reported outsourcing some portion of their content marketing budget. Now this year, 2013, that number dropped to 40%. The difference here is that those outsourcing are spending more on outsourcing, but we are seeing an overall decrease in the outsourcing, in some portion of the content creation or distribution process of content marketing. Do you have a take on that? Do you think that that's a trend that will continue? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you and I have talked about this before, and we've talked about it certainly at, uh, at Content Marketing World and at the master classes we do and, and all of that, which is ultimately the idea of story creation, the idea of content creation has to reside with the brand. And the idea of, of, of creation being outsourced, the content creation process being outsourced, is ultimately one that's just a band-aid at this point. Because people are struggling with this idea of how do I get more content into my machine? How do I get content that resonates into my machine? This has been proven every year since we started doing the research. But Ultimately, that's a symptom, not the disease. The disease or the cure for the disease is really understanding how we as an organization start to create content more proficiently. And really, I think businesses, what they're understanding is, is that they actually do, once they uncover the, the real treasure trove of content that they have, it's quite, you know, it, it, they have a bunch of content that they can actually start to produce. And really, it's the only thing they really need to outsource is the production of it, the actual design of it, the actual distribution of it, the actual creation of it, the outsourcing of the creation of it, I think, is, is, is likely to continue to be insourced. And it's something that I agree with over time. I, I, I agree and disagree with you. First of all, I agree with the fact that, that we will continue to see this outsourcing number go down. But I think overall, you're not going to see this end. I think big brands, and, and look look at Kraft, for example. I mean, you and I sat through Julie Fleischer's presentation at Content Marketing World Sydney. I mean, they leverage multiple agencies because they've got short-form content, long-form content, complex integrated content programs. The strategy is definitely internal, no doubt about that. But you've got multiple agencies with their hands in, in multiple pieces of Kraft's marketing to get this off the ground. Do you think that that's all going to come internal? No, I think that I think you you, you make a really good point, which is the, what Kraft has that a lot of businesses don't have is like a codified strategy for how they're going to produce content. And so in in a in a very short way, this is they understand what story they're trying to tell and they are telling it from an internal perspective. 
How they are actually executing against that is by utilizing agency resources or outsourced agencies. In fact, I find myself today in Philadelphia at a pharmaceutical conference where I'm talking to a large pharmaceutical company who's doing the exact same thing. They're actually creating the internal story themselves and actually coming up with the content, the topics, the ideas, the channels, how they want to distribute it themselves, but they actually have an outsourced agency that they're bringing in-house, actually sitting them in cubes and actually putting them uh, in the actual building to actually execute against that content strategy. So from that perspective, couldn't agree more. That's where the agency role belongs is in terms of executing a long-term, uh, a long-term strategy. But the What's happening now, for, and the reason I think it's decreasing is, for so long it's been like, well, let's just throw as much spaghetti against the wall and see if it sticks, and we'll just hire agencies to be able to do that. Now that people are starting to think about, well, what is the quality of the content we're producing, and how are we creating it? I think that's where you're seeing the decrease. Yeah, I think it's going to just get really interesting, and, and I'm on my rant, and I've been on this rant forever, and I think I've talked about it every podcast we've done. But the fact <laughs> is, is that bigger brands can go out and buy media companies right now and plug in a lot of this execution into their marketing content marketing process if they wish to do so but but long story short i think that agencies have their place uh, in a lot of different ex- expertise levels it'll be a long time before we get to the point where and maybe never where we i mean agencies will have their place i think it'll just continue to change and we're in this fuzzy fuzzy period right now where what is the role of the agency from a strategic side versus an execution side? Because so much of the content on the execution side is, um, is being done by so many different organizations out there. Yeah. Well, and it's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting time because you've got agencies, traditional agencies, which are more traditional marketing focused. In other words, they're focused on campaigns. They're focused on, short-term results against efforts that they'll put together with regard to creative and or, uh, you know, sort of ephemeral results based on a focused set of time versus a publishing company, which is starting to offer things like strategic content services, strategic outsourced content creation services, and really outsourced ability to become that media publishing organization that many that many brands mm-hmm. want to become which one is ultimately going to be the right approach it strikes me that there's probably a mix of that and i think what you're going to start to see is a lot of these publishing companies adopt a lot of agency type of tactics and a lot of agencies start to adopt some of these custom mm-hmm. content custom publishing tactics in order to solve the content marketing as a as an approach less as a campaign because the problem right now with agencies quite frankly is that they're is that they look at content marketing as a campaign not as an approach or as an effusion into what you know is more holistically called quote unquote marketing well actually let, let me stop you there because yeah. it's important that we any agencies listening to this please stop calling it campaigns i mean you're just right. hurting exactly. everything we're trying to do here exactly but it campaign if you say campaign that means there is a stop date Right. There's no stop date to content marketing, please. You know, and I, I want to make sure we get to our other news topics, Robert. But two things, and I'm—I mean, this isn't my rant, but here's two. <laughs> th- 
Here's two things I need to, I don't understand why they did it, and I'm going to reach out to the Custom Content Council about it. One is they called this study the Branded Content Study. I'm just curious as to why. Um, right. And I want to find out why, because most of the brands that you and I are talking to don't call it branded content anymore. Right. They call it content marketing. I'm just curious about that. Here's the second thing and see if anything's missing to you. So I, we haven't talked about this. This is no prep. I'm going to, I'm going to test you. Uh-oh. Here is a, here's a slide in this, in this presentation of the research. It said the reasons for using branded content, they list four major reasons. One is, which is the largest reason is educate customers. Two is brand loyalty. Three is to upsell customers. And four is customer retention. Actually, customer retention is a big one as well. Not in that order, but those are the four that were listed by brands for why they use branded content. Anything missing in there to you? Well, yeah, loyalty is one. I mean, well, loyalty's in there. Brand loyalty's in there. Here, I'll I'll give it away because. Because sure. you might have had two glasses of wine already, so I don't know where you're. <laughs> I don't know where you're at. No lead generation. Yeah, well, the lead generation was my second answer for sure. <laughs> you were all you were on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, that's every you and I as we speak and work with a number of enterprise marketers, businesses of all sizes. That's the number one reason they're citing right now for getting into content marketing. Historically, it's been customer retention and loyalty. That's yeah. the historical reason. That's custom publishing's roots, if you will. But the fact that lead generation isn't an option, sort of, I, I just want to know why. I, I want to know why. Was it not listed? It had to be not listed. It's, it, 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 but yeah, it must have been a multiple choice question so. because, I mean, lead generation is, is, has ranked so highly. Yeah. It's almost always brand awareness is yeah, usually yeah. number one and with the studies that we've done. And number two, a close number two is always lead generation of some kind. But anyways, that, that was my rant yeah, yeah. on that one. And, and then we can move on. But all, all in all, good reports, uh, kind of consistent with what we found at Content Marketing Institute. And uh, that outsourcing thing was sort of interesting. Fascinating. Uh, you know, interesting to our discussion of last week um, is a recent – well, literally last week, New York Post article, which I suppose you should take with a grain of salt, the fact that it comes from the New York Post. Oh, come Post. on. Come <laughs> on. But, you know, a really interesting article where they talk about time, you know, Time Warner, um, is going to dramatically increase their native advertising business. I mean, a whole article on how they're going to completely expand how they're approaching uh Native advertising. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. Interestingly, I, as I read this article this week, um, which of course we'll post in the in the show notes, Joe. The 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 interesting thing to me was is what the, one of the things that they quoted was this guy from Ogilvy, who called native advertising the new gold rush, um, and that it's already being considered part of an advertising budget, which is just I don't know. It's a little sad to me that. This idea of native advertising, which, of course, you and I both agree is is really, more broadly speaking, what we're talking about is content marketing. It's sponsored content with content on, you know, it's it's it, we've been talking about it for years and years and years, this idea of content marketing being presented in, in, in various publications. So the idea of it as an ad unit and that Ogilvy calls it the new ad rush and then it's part of the ad, you know, the IAB is calling it part of the new ad unit, et cetera. 
there's something as part of that that really bugs me, and I and and I want to. What is your take on this on this article? Well, we all know. Well, first of all, I can see why they're calling it the new gold rush because you've got more publishers and frankly, media buyers out there that are as excited as they've been about advertising in a long, long time because of the fact that this is something that's working that people are actually not ignoring right now and putting into almost borrowing the trust of media companies around the world. Here's my take on it, and I just... I'm sure I'll change my mind on this, Robert, at some point. But right right now, I'm, I'm actually a little bit concerned about the model in and of itself. And, and here's what I think about when, when I hear somebody like a Time Inc. who's really, you know, they're about ready to be spun off. And there's all kinds of issues with what the new direction of Time is going to be. Well, Time is going to say that their salvation is in selling more native advertising. When you do, and, and there are there are publishers out, media companies that are doing really great. BuzzFeed is a good example of, from what we know, and you and I have talked about this, that the majority of their revenue comes in through native advertising programs. So we'll, we'll put that out there. But let's look at somebody like Time that historically is incredibly credible publication, media brand. But here's what you do with native. It, you have a product, and the media company's product is content. With Native, you are saying, I'm going to let you borrow my product for a little bit, and I'm going to let you use my distribution channel. Just think about that for whatever you know, whatever industry you're in listening to this right now, where you're going to say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let somebody else take my product and borrow it a little bit for it, and I'm going to let open up my distribution channels. That's exactly what Native advertising is. So right. before you go that direction, you have to be very careful that you've got all the processes in place and checks and balances to make sure that content does not dissuade any of the readers from saying that this publication is garbage. And I'll give you a really good example. Forbes struggled with this for a long time when they had SAP. I think it's called, what is it, SAP Voice? Yeah. Or Ad Voice? Uh, brand Voice. Uh, brand Voice. Sorry about that. Brand Voice. And Forbes bought, uh, uh, SAP bought a big package with Forbes. And there, I mean, there was not the check and balances when they started that program. And there was some really shoddy, and I think SAP would say this as well, shoddy con- content that came out to start that. And so they had to put in new checks and balances, and they're trying to figure that thing out. Regardless of that, I don't think this is the salvation for all brands, especially brands like Time that really, truly does have a voice. The more other people's content that you shove into that channel, the less of your voice that you have. I mean, I... Am I missing something on this, or is this? No, I, th- I. You know, it's it's interesting to me. You know, this is. I mean, when we we did it, we ended up doing a lot of interviews for our latest report on native advertising companies, and I forget which uh, you know technology company this was, but one of them called this the bikini problem, which is when you start putting in the idea of a borrowed space on your publication. And you start making that an automated type of solution, you're going to have the lowest common denominator. And it's one of those things where now you go to a publication and you look at the sort of quote unquote, you know, you might also like or the related articles, and inevitably one of them is a girl in a bikini. And it's how customers will ultimately, advertisers will ultimately game the system to make their content stand out. And so I think the concern which of yours, which is a valid one for publishers, is they're going to have to put some checks and balances in, unlike what they might do for advertising, per se, 
is they're going to have to start putting in checks and balances because the content that may go into that borrowed space may not actually be very good for their brand in the long run. And so what is it that you're actually giving up over the long haul as much borrowed space as you're going to be giving? And how does that affect your ability to deliver a quality product over the long haul? I just, I'm just shaking my head. I would almost say that if you're a media company out there that tread lightly would be my, you know, I don't think you have to run to this right now. And I think that you said this really well last week, which if you're a marketer, I think you run to this. Absolutely. I, I think you, t- you take this as a rent to own strategy to try to build your own audience. And if publishers are going to give you the opportunity to do this, you take it. And Absolutely. take it for as long as you can. Score as many touchdowns as you can this, until they figure exactly out your offense. It. Yeah, until they this figure out exactly your offense it. and then you do something else, right? This is exactly it. As a marketer, I don't care if it's called native advertising. If you're going to allow me to align my product with your brand and I believe in your brand and your audience, I'm going to run to this. But here's the thing. Understand that I'm not there to make my content seamless to your brand. I'm there to make my content stand out. I am there to I don't care if anybody reads the rest of your newspaper or the rest of your magazine or the rest of your online site. I only care that your audience is reading my article and doing whatever it is I want them to do, whether it's click through to my site, engage with my blog, subscribe to my newsletter, whatever my call to action is. That's all I care about. And so, yeah, absolutely. As a marketer, I love this. It's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity for me to, to do stuff. As a publisher, I, I totally hear you. It's, a, it's, a, it's fraught with risk. And I'm afraid for time. I'm afraid for that yeah. brand right now because of, of, of this direction. I don't have a problem with them saying that that's a good possibility for revenue generation. I just don't think the future is in native advertising for a brand like Time. I think other brands, it may be different. Yeah. Speaking of brands and brands that are absolutely getting it right, so, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's, 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 almost, it's almost cliche at this point when we say Coca-Cola does it again. Um, you know, if there's a brand that understands how content marketing works, I mean, Goodness gracious, it must be Coca-Cola. I mean, there's a new article this week where they, I mean, they, you know, the, the, if you haven't seen the, the Journey, which is a, a website that they launched last year, actually, um, it's just wonderful. But they just recently announced that they're actually opening up, much like Amex Open Network opened up their blogging platform to anyone who wanted to blog for them. Coca-Cola has ostensibly done the same thing. They've, and they call it The Opener, which is just wonderful in and of itself. But really, they have, they have opened up their blog platform to anyone who wants to, to write for them. Um, and there's a one, we'll put it in the show notes, of course. There's a wonderful article about this. But an interesting thing, and I'd love to get your take on this, Joe, one of the things that they talk about in there is this it's kind of it's they've buried the lead a little bit which is interestingly they talk about the idea of killing the press release right where they actually and there's a link to it in this article that we'll put in the show notes where that we're actually one of the persons in charge of content at Coca-Cola talks about the idea of how press releases have sort of run their course and how it's their their idea is they're just gonna they're just gonna release content and you know just really let it live as it is is the is the idea of the press release just 
gone? Is is it just gone? Well, you know, it's interesting. I I read through that one, and then I watched the video. So we'll put that in the in the show notes, the the video for for everyone to watch as well. It says that he wants to kill the press release by the year 2015 at Coca Cola. Yeah. Uh, so when you hear that, I'm sure the press release services are like, oh, my gosh, because Coca-Cola is a first mover on most of this stuff. So so good for them. You know, I don't think that I think press releases actually have a role. I believe you do, too. We've talked about this. Yeah. You can use press releases. You just I think when people think of press releases today, they think of the same old boring press release. And you don't have to do that. You don't you could actually come up with a compelling story and a series of stories and use a press release channel to do it. I think what Coca-Cola, I think that's what Coca-Cola is saying more than anything else is, is they're just not going to do the same old boring press releases. Does that mean? I mean, did you take from this that they're just not going I to did. use any services? No, I, I, I absolutely took from that that they were actually going to redefine yep. what press release meant. I did not. I did not take that that they were actually going to stop doing sort of releases as, as a general rule, but they were going to try and redefine what that really meant. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, killing the press release as we know it, I think we should all be doing that. And, yeah. and figure, I mean, we're trying to, we struggle with it too, a content marketing institute. We should be doing a, thinking about how do we write this more as an engaging piece of content that people would actually like to share instead of talking about ourselves and we're great and we've got awesome widgets and we won awards or whatever the case is, what pe- which people don't care about. So I think Coca-Cola, from that standpoint, gets it. I just want to move back a second on Coca-Cola journey because I think that is truly compelling. And for those of you that don't know, when they launched, what was it, about nine months ago? Almost yeah, a year ago, exactly. I think, yeah, that, yeah. that they, Coca-Cola launched their journey platform. They launched it with 40, I believe it's 40 freelance writers and four full-time journalists creating content on an everyday basis that they feel would create an emotional connection with Coca-Cola customers. That is a big, hairy, audacious goal right there. I mean, that, it's huge. That, that is something we should all shoot. That's why we fall in love with Coca-Cola. I think that you actually have like Coca-Cola evangelists on your business card or something. I do. Somewhere, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. But, I'm a fanboy for sure. There's, there's what, I mean, what Jonathan Mildenhall and that company is doing is absolutely spectacular. You know, it, they are they are far and away the the leader. In, you know, in my mind, in terms of somebody who gets how content affects the new marketing paradigm. Well, I think that, and then the issue. Let, let's take this down to brands that that maybe don't have Coca Cola's budget. Let's take this. Let's talk about a takeaway here. Because I think there is one. Because what they're doing yeah. is they're, they're creating a blog network on their content platform, similar to what LinkedIn has done with their influencer program that's been highly successful. I think the opportunity is to go out and sign up. If, whatever size brand you are, if you have this strategy and you want to work this, I think you can sign up customers, evangelists, influencers in the industry, partners, um, what distribution partners, whatever the case is, that can help you create content, and you don't have to do it by yourself. Coca-Cola can draw more people to this because they're Coca-Cola, but anyone can do this. And I think that it is a valid model when you have so many people out there that want to get exposure for their content and their messaging and create their own content platforms. If you can help other people get there and also solve your own content marketing objectives, I think this is something that all brands at least need to look at. I think that's a key takeaway. I mean, for me, you know, and it's something that 
uh, you know, as we, you and I both know, is on, is big on the agenda for for CMI for 2014 is this idea of content creation and the process behind content creation. The idea that you know that any business of any size, whether you're a startup business or whether you're a global enterprise, the idea of taking the process of how you create content and what Coca-Cola does better than most is putting a priority on excellence and the content that they create meeting a standard of excellence and how they actually put priority on how they create content as a process in that organization is is really bar none and that and, and that you know that goes back to our earlier discussion in this podcast about you know uh, uh, putting priority on you know where we're putting budget, where we're putting our agency resources, where we're putting our internal resources, and all of the things that we're doing in terms of how we actually approach the idea of content and the creation of it. I think that is such a key takeaway because, and I and I can't stand when so many people say, "Look, Coca Cola can do that, but we can't do it." Yeah, and, and I think that if you really look at look at what Coca Cola is doing, what they're saying is is that they need to be telling their story differently, and they be, need to be putting more assets against content creation and distribution in their organization more than they've ever done before, because they're not going to create this emotional connection, and they're not going to get more. I mean, most people have not tried Coca Cola around the world, believe it or not. How yeah, are they going to hit their BHAG of doubling the amount of servings by 2020 unless they tell compelling stories that are ultimately shareable? If we, as even the a B2B, you're a B2B business that has maybe a really boring product, you think, there is an opportunity there for you to tell a different story and to get in front of people. And I would just say, look at that big goal that Coca-Cola has and, and make it your own. I think there's an opportunity, especially since Coca-Cola is competing with so many other entities that you may not be competing with in your B2B industry. You may have an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, should speaking we, of, yeah. yeah, speaking of, 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 of shifting opportunities, as it were, our good friend, maybe this is a little inside baseball, maybe it's not, but our good friend Joe Chernoff, he has been a friend of CMI. He is well-known within the content marketing space. He was the chief content officer at Aloqua, and he's moving. He is taking a new job, and oh my goodness, what do you think, Joe? I mean, what do you? What, he's moving to HubSpot. What? What the heck is going on in Boston? Moving. <laughs> you and I talked about this before. Did HubSpot know that Joe was uh, CMI's 2012 Content Marketer of the Year <laughs> before they made that decision? Joe, maybe yeah. if they would have known that. You wouldn't be That's at HubSpot. Right. No, I, no, nothing but the best <laughs> for for Joe. I, I think that it's a good move for both Joe and for HubSpot. Uh, I think my take from it, and we've talked about this before, and this is no secret, uh, but this is really getting inside baseball. So for those of you like you know are in, around in the industry, you'll dig this take that HubSpot's been going upstream toward enterprises for a long, long time. What this is interesting is actually not by itself, and, and Joe, with his experience at Eloqua and really focusing on content effectiveness going to HubSpot, this alone would be one thing. This packaged with the Inc. article, and we'll put this in the show notes, uh, which was a Q&A in Inc. with Dharmesh Shaw, the co-founder of HubSpot, which says that they're really starting to move away. They can't just be about inbound marketing and do what they need to do at HubSpot. That's big. I mean, yeah. that's 
HubSpot has been all about the term inbound marketing. And now you've got leadership starting to say, no, we're not just about inbound marketing. And then you hire somebody like Joe, which is a clear indication that they're moving in another direction. I think that I think sort of the writing is on the wall with where they're going. And maybe it's to be sort of the salesforce.com model of this. They're trying to do it with their event. They're trying to create all these different add-on products with what was traditionally been, you know, marketing automation light, but they've, they've really taken, are you seeing the same thing? I am indeed. I am indeed. I think it's a good move for both. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's a complete win for HubSpot to pull in someone who's not only local for them, um, but to also pull in someone of his caliber. I mean, he is just, you know, he's he's a guy who gets it. He matches with where I think they're strategically going. We'll see if they can actually pivot and make that move, or, or whether he becomes HubSpotized, <laughs> as it were. Um, and loses the you know loses the the Joe Chernoff personality, but um, I think it's a I, I think at, at its surface level, it's a it's a, it's an amazing move. Well, and it it feeds right into our you know it, because Joe Chernoff was of course CMI's content marketer of the uh, of the year. It moves right into where HubSpot should be, which is a sponsor of this old marketing podcast. But they're not the but, sponsor. But they're not <laughs> the sponsor. This, would that be something if they were actually yeah, the sponsor? No, our sponsor you know, this yeah, week, of course. Who our, is the sponsor this week? The sponsor this week is our good friends again at SlideShare Pro. <laughs> and we've talked about SlideShare before, Robert. Uh, you, By the way, if you just want the free package of SlideShare, I recommend you use it. We, we know that only about 30% of marketers out there in any way use SlideShare. Even though 60 million or so people a month go to SlideShare.net, I think it is what it is, SlideShare site. I think that's there's such a huge opportunity with looking at SlideShare. If you're not familiar with SlideShare, it's sort of like the YouTube for PowerPoints, but you can do a lot more on SlideShare. What SlideShare Pro enables you to do, and I think it's for as little as $16 a month, if I'm not mistaken, the way they have SlideShare Pro set up, Robert, is that that's you right. can start to generate subscribers to your content. Call it lead generation. So people that engage in your content, you can set up a form within that content, or when somebody downloads your content, you can actually ask for information. For those of you who are sophisticated, they integrate with a number of marketing automation programs, and you can do progressive profiling, and it's just fantastic. So um, just a big shout-out to SlideShare Pro. We'll put the short link in the show notes. Uh, I would encourage anyone who's not using SlideShare to please check it out. Uh, it is our number two at Content Marketing Institute. It's our number two subscriber generator is SlideShare, sure. which is huge. And, and we're all about getting new uh, content subscribers to our information. So SlideShare is great for that. And want to thank them again for sponsoring this week. Rock on. And that brings us to the segment of our show that we call Rants and Raves. Um, and Joe, do you have a rant? Oh, you or want a me rave? to go first? I do want you to go first if you have a rant or a rave. My um, my this rant week. this week is, and I'll keep this short. Um, well, as short as I can keep it. <laughs> I had a person. I was in Richmond uh, doing the the presentation there for the AMA American Marketing Association Richmond chapter, and a person come up to me afterwards and was talking about content quality. Basically, said this. And said, content that's good enough, that's really great, that cuts through the clutter, shouldn't have to be marketed at all. And my head almost split open. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? By the way, here's a takeaway that everybody needs to know. Good. Let's look at a medium. I mean, I come from a publishing background, as you know, Robert. 
And the number one thing when you launch a publishing platform or a content brand of some kind is to put together the audience development plan. The first thing is how do we market this? How do we create an audience first for our content so that it will be engaged in? And you and I know so many examples. I mean, the one example that I share all the time, I think you might use a similar example, is the B2B company that spent $30,000 on a research project and an ebook and had one person from outside the company download it because they didn't have a marketing plan with right. that program. And I think that's where I, would, I really am concerned that you create content as an organization and you don't have a marketing plan first. So the takeaway should be if you are just creating content and you expect people to engage in it, it doesn't matter how good it is. You need to have a marketing plan along with it. I don't know if you have a take about that, but that was my, my rant for the week. Well, it feeds right into my rant. I mean, my rant this week is about metrics. And, you know, there was this new study that focused uh, it was just released. We'll put the link to the study in the show notes that was focused on Australian companies. But there was been, there's been similar studies by the CMO Council and others that have focused on American companies and European companies as well. That, but this particular company found that very similar to what I have seen in, in U.S. companies, 73% of companies still rely on visitors, the number of visitors to their website. That indicates success. And 30% of these uh, marketers, they still don't understand how to measure or how to report measurement to their bosses. 50% of these companies are still only using analytics and metrics as a means to prove whatever they're doing is a success. And this is just a fundamental misunderstanding of what we should be doing as marketers, and especially content marketers, as it pertains to metrics and analytics. You know, I, I've written before, I've written for Content Marketing Institute, I've written for other publications on this idea of analytics being what I call WMD, which is Weapons of Mass Delusion, which is where we actually look at analytics as a method of proving what we're doing as marketing people, and it's not. It's a method of developing insight into our process. And until we completely reboot the entire idea of how we use data, of how we use data to really improve our method of improving the relationship and deepening the relationship with customers, analytics is going to be nothing more than just a bunch of numbers on a page. And it's especially hot for me now because of the fact that I've been at this this conference for two days where everybody claims that they're that they're data driven and that they're, they're, they're that they're on this metrics idea and that they only approve things that have proven ROI and and whatnot but what they really mean by that is is that they are only going to approve projects that actually have proof that the graph is going to go up and to the right and they really don't even understand what going up and to the right really means and so we've got to We've got to really just reboot the entire idea of analytics and what insight really means um, from deriving some kind of meaning out of data. Well, and that's, I, I mean, you said this really well in, in Managing Content Marketing, uh, your excellent book, by the way. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the thing when you look at what the overall return on objective is, and I like to use return on objective because it focuses you on what is your marketing objective. It needs to be focused on is it a sales-related metric in some way? Is it going to save us costs in some way? Or is it going to create happier customers in some way? 
And those are the yeah. metrics that we really care about, right? Now, yep. web uh, traffic could have something to do with it, but most likely doesn't, <laughs> does it? Right. Sometimes right. less traffic works. To, I mean, you want the right traffic, right? And we want the traffic to do something to, we're trying to enhance or change the behavior. I think that's what you're talking about where it could be a totally meaningless metric. And even our own Content Marketing Institute research has shown for the last few years that that is the number one metric that people look at on content effectiveness, and that's why we know we're in trouble still. I heard somebody today call KPI a key personal influencer. I mean, come on. Well, it We've is, right? <laughs> We've got to be better than that. And you right? spit out your coffee as you heard yeah, that exactly. discussion. All right, so in... in, in in looking at this old marketing, what's our this old marketing Oh, example? this old marketing, my favorite portion of our podcast. You know, I was thinking about what it should be this week, Robert, and um, I was just at a birthday party where Lego Marvel, uh, the Xbox 360 game, came out. And I was reminded that, wow, Lego Club Magazine is one of the greatest content marketing examples I can think of. And I think we could go on forever and talk about Lego as a storytelling factory, but just a little a bit of information about Lego Club Magazine. Lego Club Magazine was formerly called Brick Kicks Magazine, and it was created first in 1987 That's to amazing. Lego customers as a membership vehicle. And I've got to tell you, Robert, I received the first Brick Kicks Magazine Wow! in 1987 when I was two years old. And... <laughs> What I love about this example is that influenced me so much, and I've continued them. My kids, my two boys today, still get Lego Magazine. It went through a couple name renditions. They've done a, a variety of variations, changed it from to Lego Mania Magazine, then to Lego Magazine. They've got uh, different versions of it depending on where they're at. They've got a great one called Lego Club Junior. They've got a school edition. So they really do segment this. A couple things that's really interesting, this is still in print. And I, what I remember, just to make this personal, this is just a couple of years ago, I remember when they would come in the mail and my two boys would, would lay down on the floor and, they would, just, <laughs> and they, would, they would read it cover to cover. Wow. And, of course, you know what they would do afterwards is they'd, they'd read the comics and they'd read the inventions and they'd, they'd think about what they could aspire to from a building standpoint. And, and what do they want to do? They want to go out and buy more Lego. So... Uh, just just an idea and what i love this is a retention upsell vehicle this is not a lead generation tool and i think that we have a lot to learn from this and if we focused on our current customer base and i think lego is a fantastic example so 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 personal and we'll put some of some more in the club note in the show notes about lego club magazine but i simply love this example and and still think about it often when we think about content marketing it's one of the things that I use. I mean, in every single master class that I teach and every single presentation I do, I mention the fact that your kids run to the mailbox to, to, go, to go pull. I mean, the fact that the kids are anticipating and running to the mailbox to pull a catalog, you know what I mean, I mean out of the mailbox and go buy me, buy me, buy me, buy well, me, think buy, about me this. buy me, the, buy me, buy me. You know what's great about that, Robert, is this is marketing. Yeah, it's you're marketing, beautiful. and this is what we're all. This is the essence of content marketing, right? Marketing so good that our audience doesn't yeah. know it's marketing. That's right. That's what we want. That's right. Well, that's a great. That's a great way to end today's show. Um, so that's it for Joe Polizzi. My name is Robert Rose. We're signing off for this episode, and remember, as always, 
If you want your question answered on the show, please do tag us on Twitter. The hashtag is thisoldmarketing. Or send an email, thisoldmarketing at constantinstitute.com. This was episode number three. We hope you look forward to these over the next course of the year. We're going to plan on doing these weekly. And remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next time on PNR. PNR.